Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, a weekly show about all things PostgreSQL. I'm Michael, this is my co-host Nicolo. Hey Nicolo, what are we talking about today? Hi, connections. Yeah, so this was your choice. We've done an episode already on connection pooling, but this we're thinking of covering more generally the basics, a few interesting things around connections. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, a few interesting things and a few boring things. And this topic was my choice. And I just see how many people struggle with trying to connect to freshly installed Postgres, for example. I also see how many people make mistake, how many managed Postgres providers continue opening port to the world and sometimes not enabling encryption in the beginning and then enabling it, but still, I don't know, like, I don't like port op- being open to the world. But many yeah. do it for the sake of simplicity and like UX experience, yeah. user experience. Let's discuss this maybe first. Like, why shouldn't port be open to the world? Heroku started very long ago, obviously because uh, this is the easiest way, right? They, they obfus- like you know, uh, security by obscurity uh, is not security. Uh, sec- so, if you use some randomly generated hostname and use a randomly generated username, very long password, like strong password. It's hard to find this password with brute force, right? Yeah, but that's that's the argument, isn't it? It's, it depends what you're protecting against. One of them protects against fewer things, right? Of course, there's the brute force vector, but there's also leaked credentials. You know, if somebody gets hold of the credentials mm-hmm. and your database is exposed to the public internet, then they're in. So, but, yeah. but if it's from not... Any, from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know there are additional things you can do to like limit, for example, the IP addresses, but it's nowhere near as, as good. So if you can, definitely a good... I guess that's the same advice with most security things, right? Trade-offs to security are often UX, but they're often worth it. There's also performance considerations. You can um, also change port from 5432 to something unexpected. <laughs> well, by the way, it's, it helps a little bit because uh, I'm sure yeah. a lot of bad bots are scanning well-known ports first, but still it's security by obscurity. It doesn't work well, right? So... Also, encryption can be in place. If if this if port is open to the world without encryption, it's absolutely huge, very bad mistake. And we know services which started from this approach, not having encryption, meaning that anyone can steal your password and then access from anywhere. It's insane. But yeah. the best thing is to not open port to public IP addresses, mm-hmm. to public public interfaces, not to to open the port to the world, I mean, just listen addresses setting in postgresql.conf. It should be limited to only local host and or private networks, right? Yeah, like this is the best security. Is, yeah. mm-hmm. Of course, it makes much harder to reach Postgres. And of course, you need like something like SSH port forwarding or some jump host or something to reach it. But uh, any client supports it, or without client, you can just in a separate term- terminal say SSH dash and TL. I don't remember exactly. 
and have this SSH port forwarding. But of course, it destroys user experience. I know this. I know this. Like many, many developers will not be able to reach Postgres if you require this. But if you open the port, like all modern, how to say, RDS by default doesn't do it, right? Am I right? I didn't check. They yeah, have no. checkbox, but it's disabled. It's not checked by default. Interesting. But Neon, Superbase, all these guys, they open port to the world. Is it okay? In my opinion, no. It's not okay. And some of them, some of these guys, started with no encryption. But they have it now, right? Or Yes. In a weird way, but yes. Okay. I mean... The, I usually, when I connect, I usually check it, selecting from PG status SSL and seeing if my connection is encrypted. But sometimes it's not, it's shown and it's not encrypted. But uh, I think it's there is still encryption. It's just uh, till the proxy. But after it, after proxy to Postgres, there is no encryption. Anyway, I don't like port open to the world if everything else is uh, okay. Still, I don't like it. Going back to like regular Postgres. Um, we have SSL mode, and I was wondering if you thought... So the default is prefer, but there are stronger settings. Require. I wondered... Yeah, well, and so there's... what? Yeah, require, there's verify CA, and there's verify full. Don't ask me. I, I <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, I always forget details. I always check documentation. I just yeah. I'm, I just wanted to point out, remember Mongo by default opened the portal to the world and at some, like many years was nothing. And then a huge wave of ransomware stealing data and blackmailing people yeah. started to be a huge problem because by default it was open to the world and many people used some weak password. Of course, in the case of managed services, they dictate that password should be strong. I, I mean, they generate it for you. But still, I I don't like it. Port open to the yeah. world. Well, we can say, you know, we live in the world when secrets uh, are public. Well, <laughs> for full transparency, we should publish all the data, you know. But I don't know. I don't like it. It's enough. Let's switch. To I have a quick one. Quick thing to yeah. add there. There is a good blog. The documentation is great on SSL mode in terms of which levels allow you to do what. And there's a really good blog post that I came across today while looking into this by Andrew Kane called Postgres SSL mode explained. So I'll link that up for anybody oh, that wants to go into it. Good. Yeah. Well, if at least you have SSL required, so nobody mm -hmm. can connect without it. If you have strong password, and nobody can set weak password. It's already something good. Even if you don't uh, have like weird host names trying to obscure this thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You said something at the beginning. You said you see a lot of people struggling to connect. Right. When do you see that? Because <laughs> I don't see it as much. Well, like maybe you just, just don't deal with p new people new Maybe, people to yeah. Postgres for example if you just install uh, it on uh, macOS or Ubuntu on macOS if you use Homebrew maybe it's easier to connect but then it will be f harder to find how to for example restart it and so on but you can google it easy but for Ubuntu for example by default you need to memorize this sudo-u Postgres PSQL and I, I wanted to explain why is it so because in some less common situations people have issues connecting to local postgres but you should always be able to understand how to connect to local postgres even if it's running on weird port and 
is installed at weird location using weird username and password and everything. I think it's also a good practical exercise for people who work with Postgres. Like, here is the box. Postgres is installed. I won't tell you password, but you have sudo rights, for example. You can scan everything. You can see all directories, files, everything. Try to connect as far as, as soon as possible and as fast as possible. And uh, this is good exercise. And I think people master this uh, ability over time, but it probably should be just an exercise and you just can learn it faster. So my usual approach, I checked with PS command, I check how Postgres is running and where also maybe pgconfig and I try to understand which configuration files it is using. Then we check maybe straight to pghba.conf, which is still separate configuration. Many people argue that it should be part of main configuration. Remember, we had recovery.conf, and then it, it was yeah. a huge improvement when it was merged with the main configuration. pghba.conf related to which connections are allowed and using which methods of connection, it's still a separate part. It cannot be configured using SQL, and it's a pity. Maybe someday it will be merged as well. So you just check it. If you found the proper configuration file using PS and then navigation and pgconfig maybe, right? you found it, you just check what is allowed there. And if you see trust, <laughs> you are lucky, but it's also bad practice. Trust means these connections don't require password at all. You just specify user and the way of connection and you're in. If you see peer, probably on Ubuntu it will be by default, right? For Postgres Linux user, Linux user named Postgres. Uh, in this case, if you connect in through that user, you also don't need password, right? Because it will be like gates are opening for this user automatically. That's why you say sudo u Postgres psql. In this case, you don't need to specify password at all. You're switching to Linux user named Postgres, and then you just run psql. And in this case, Postgres needs to have the same user, like names should match in operational system and in Postgres. If they match, no password is needed. This is the main rule. You can use uh, your own Linux user. You just need to create user in Postgres. For example, Michael, right? You have Linux user Michael. If Postgres also has database user named Michael, and pghba.conf has peer for Michael, for TCP connections, for example. You can go through localhost and connect without password. Or it can be not a TCP connection, but Unix domain socket connection, which is, by the way, if you, when you say sudo-u postgres psql, this is how you use connections through this Unix socket, not mm -hmm. via TCP. And uh, in this case, no password is needed, and it's a good way for local connections, uh, right? Yep, makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, and you need passwords. Yeah. Are you talking about development databases, uh, or are you even including production things in that? Well, I'm definitely. This is not about managed Postgres databases because they take care about yeah, password course, generation yeah. and uh, restricting the ways, limiting the ways you can connect to Postgres, but uh, development databases or self-managed Postgres and when you install it on fresh Ubuntu or, or CentOS or something mm -hmm. and you need to connect, in this case uh, you can be lost a little bit 
and you need to reach your PGHBacon first and see what's happening there and maybe to adjust. If you adjust, you can reload configuration even without connection. You just need to send SIGHUB HUP signal to Postmaster and to tool reload configuration. You just say kill dash capital HUP and process ID and uh, that's it. So you're reloading configuration like that. Or you can restart via system CTL or something, depending on your system, right? And uh, this is how you can also, like, this is a way to connect through locally. By the way, Unix domain sockets are interesting thing to understand, like, for new users. Postgres can work through TCP IP connections or through Unix, Unix socket connections. And uh, Unix socket connections are local only. Because it's the way in Linux how processes can communicate locally, only locally. Mm -hmm. So, and they are faster, by the way. It's easy to benchmark with PGBench. Yeah, I saw, uh, in researching this, I saw a blog post by Bruce Momjan looking at exactly this. And his numbers were something like 35% faster without SSL and like 175% faster once you turned SSL on. That. I was expecting some difference, but I wasn't expecting that much difference. Yeah, well, I benchmarked myself multiple times. It's mm -hmm. very, really easy to benchmark. You just connect PitchBench through, like, through socket. And with socket, it's like it's strange, but you can say dash "-h", meaning host. You need to specify directory where socket is located. And then in, inside directory, you will see some file starting .s, .something, and port number. And you specify dash p, like with TCP connections, dash h is a directory, dash p, dash p is this port number. It's looking like a TCP IP connection, but it's all not TCP IP, it's mm -hmm. Unix, Unix domain socket connection. And if you just specify it for PGBench, you can compare dash h localhost and dash h directory where the socket is located. So Unix socket directories, it's, this is the setting in postgresql.conf. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll see different numbers, definitely, in terms of TPS and latencies. And this, what does this mean? This means that if we have a pool, pooler, pooler mm -hmm. on uh, the same host as Postgres, right, running locally, PGBouncer, for example, we probably should make it connecting to Postgres using this type, Unix domain sockets. And also, if you have uh, not a huge application and, and somehow you like combine application and database on the same machine, sometimes like we have small project, right? Probably we should also make it connecting through Unix domain sockets, not through TCP IP. And this will be beneficial for latencies. Numbers you provided sound very, very good, right? Yeah, have you seen similar? Yeah, similar. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I was I was expecting small difference, but uh, mm. the numbers I saw in my benchmarks, I didn't remember them. They made me think, oh, uh, Unix socket connections are much better in terms of performance. Less overhead, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything else you wanted to share on on the topic of like what to do if you can't connect, let's say, for, the, for people that you mentioned well, struggling? Yeah, well... Just once again, so for some people, it's very strange to see that they need to provide a Unix socket directory as dash h meaning host. This is strange. Maybe it's not a perfect yeah. uh, option naming, 
right? Because Fair. maybe yep. it should be, I, mean, I, I don't know, like some other parameter. So it's confusing, 100% so. And port also, oh, this uh, file name has port number, also strange. But what else? I think that's it. Understanding this, checking listen addresses and port and postgresql.conf, also checking PS, like where is everything is located, pgconf, config, uh, which provides you understanding where configuration files are located. It should be enough. So you start uh, understanding where PG data is located and how it's running. Sometimes, so for example, on Ubuntu, uh, unlike Archel approach, uh, Red Hat and CentOS approach, configuration is not inside PG data. It's moved to ETC, like more canonical sty style uh, putting files. In this case, you also need to figure it out and understand how to find configs. But uh, if you have root access to the host, you should be able to find how to connect to running Postgres. Otherwise, you need to study it a little bit. One more thing to add, and I'm stealing this from a really good flowchart from a blog post by Letitia Avro a few years ago. She's mentioned that if you're not connecting with PSQL, try that as well. If you So uh, if you're trying to use a different tool and that you've got a connection issue, there's a chance that it's the tool being buggy, for example. Mm. Um, so that, that I think that's a good tip. And then the final one that she mentions is if you hit an error message, read the error message. Like Postgres's errors in this yeah. area are really well worded. So, I mean, this is good advice in general. I do remember the first time uh, I sat with a, a developer and they read an error message and I was like, what? You can read these and they're actually useful. It was um, yeah, eye-opening. And it's translated to many languages. Sometimes you see, I, I see translations of it sometimes. So yeah, I agree. Cool. I, I use it all, all the time. So if I have issues connecting, I downgrade myself to PSQL very quickly and uh, because I trust it 100%, mm -hmm. I know that it's reliable. Yeah. And if it, if I cannot connect using PSQL, that's a problem somewhere, maybe in between on server side or, or like, it depends. But yeah, this is probably the way to study it you need to be able to connect using psql first and then if you know how to connect to psql you bring this understanding to any client application by the way just to remind that some people like if we discuss connections we should discuss that overhead of connections is high in postgres because it's not thread based it's process based each connection means backend on server side and to create new connection, you need to create backend. That's why pooling is needed. We discussed it. And in yeah. Postgres 14, it was improved. So yeah. now we can have a lot of idle connections. Also, some managed service providers, and probably you, if you manage Postgres yourself, also need to configure Postgres to close connection if it's not used for a long, longer period of times. And previously, it was possible only if you have pitch bouncer or something, because Postgres itself didn't have the setting to disconnect idle connections now it has i don't think like idle connection timeout or something Some idle like session that, yeah. timeout maybe I, I always forget yeah. setting names but it's definitely possible in newer versions of postgres and it's worth doing because who needs all those idle connections right and troubleshooting connections from server side it's sometimes challenging as well because of course we have pgstat activity with a lot of data in it so we have client address and so on. But if connections go through poolers, which installed on different server, for example, or locally with Postgres, in the client address, we will see 
wrong IP address usually, right? Sometimes uh, you can see real client address in application name. So the, there is a possibility in page browser, as I remember. But sometimes you just don't understand who is connected, especially if you don't follow good practice and don't distinguish uh, usernames. Sometimes people, like for example, hundreds of engineers in one organization, they all use some like super user or some user with elevated privileges, but it's a single username. It's bad yeah. practice, right? Because we, it's hard to trace them. You need to understand process ID, then you need to deal with who is connected, with who, start, who started what parent process ID, then who is running this shell. It's like, it's slow and it's bad. So in my opinion, every person should have personal username. Of course, managing this is challenging. That's why sometimes people involve LDAP or something. Uh, well, as well as users, right? Like also applications, user per application. There, Parts of applications, anything? different applications should mm -hmm. use different usernames. It, it's a um, traditional divide and conquer approach. You need to divide all of them and then you understand who is who and then you can adjust settings because at, at user level you can adjust settings. It's also possible. And then you see everything in logs properly. It's great. But I see yeah. sometimes people don't implement this unfortunately yeah i think there are like it makes tons of sense but there are also like interesting side effects from like for example i think it's not necessarily obvious about like object ownership kind of consequences that kind of thing but yeah definitely good but advice you can, you can always say set role to something else if yeah. you have permissions and then you can switch pretend you're something else somebody else for example to run some ddl if, if needed yeah yeah, and uh, the, the side effects, uh, it's one of the biggest mistakes in my career. The side effect related to to different settings users had. I already explained it maybe once. We had a situation when log statement was set to all, and I thought uh, it's global, but application user had um, DDL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I made conclusion, wrong, very wrong conclusion that... We are logging all queries. It's, it was so stupid. So we had downtime and it was not good at all. It was big, big company and uh, yeah. So it was huge, maybe one of the huge biggest mistakes in my career uh, to Postgres. So you always need, if you have multiple users, you always need to check if they have user level settings. So select them from PJ Rolls. Great advice, yeah. Or maybe backslash U plus return settings. I don't remember exactly, but I think yes. So it should in PSQL you connect and see everything with plus. Yeah. Nice one. What else about connections? So you had a nice thing on your notes actually, how to connect if you don't know the password, which is something I didn't know. I had to Google. So I don't know if you wanted to cover that. Well, first of all, if you have, you need to check, inspect PGBA.conf. Mm -hmm. if, yeah. if, if you have peer there or trust, you know, you don't need password at all and you you can just... Yeah, you mentioned trust earlier. That is the advice on how to temporarily fix temporarily, this, right? Yeah, well, all you can... Mm, yeah, this is the way, exactly. So you, you just uh, switch it, then you can already change passwords and then, then you can already re revert it. Yeah, and, and connect normally with password in a secure manner. Right. 
I would do this probably. Just why not? Yeah, well, top voted answer on Stack Overflow agrees with you. Ah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it, of course, it's a lot of actions. Unfortunately, I mean, you need to edit for PGHB, then you need to reload configuration to apply it, or just restart Postgres if you if it's not a problem for you, and then don't forget to revert once you have uh, normal user with normal password. Right. Sounds good. The only last thing I had was you mentioned overhead from having long running connections. So other than the memory footprint, is there anything else? Like I know long running transactions, for example, have big, big side effects, but I couldn't think of any myself for long running connections other than that memory overhead. Yeah, well, there are a couple of articles from Andres Freund uh, about uh, connection overhead and mm -hmm. memory. Yep. He, he claimed that memory overhead was not the big, biggest problem at all. And uh, oh, snapshot, yeah. snapshot, how Postgres, Postgres works with snapshot. So if we have a lot of idle, purely idle connections, not idle mm -hmm. transaction, but idle, not doing mm -hmm. anything. Before Postgres 14, it, uh, it was a problem. And it's easy to test PGBench, you check TPS, and then you add 1,000 or 2,000 idle connections. Of course, you need to increase max connections setting. And you test again. And you see uh, TPS drops like 20, 30% or something like that. In my experiment, it was so with Postgres maybe 11, 12. I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. And this, this is how I demonstrated to some guys. Uh, you don't want to set 2,000 max connections and then allow a lot of idles. And uh, if it's newer Postgres version, Overhead is much smaller. I honestly didn't check myself. I trust claims and, and from, just, yeah. from, from blog posts and so on, right? It should be yeah. so. And it's not directly about memory. And memory also is a difficult thing to measure properly. Memory footprint. So, yeah. so I, I, like, maybe uh, in newer Postgres versions, maybe if you have thousands of idle connections extra, Maybe it's not a huge problem at all if you have a lot of memory also. Like, who knows? But uh, I prefer limiting this uh, if you have a pooler and uh, you just don't allow this to happen. Yeah, makes sense. Wonderful. I suspect we can call it there. Yeah, I think that's it, right? So connections, uh, working with Postgres is not possible without connecting to it. Yeah. There is single user mode, of course, but it's not pleasant to work with. And even if you if you have transaction ID wraparound situation, as Hanu Crossing from Google Cloud Platform teaches us, there is a, a recipe to avoid single user the use of single user mode. He explained it in his perfect talk, "Do you vacuum every day?" Right. So, yeah. So connections are necessary. Connections means backends processes. And also, by the way, terminating connections is not a huge problem. PG terminate backend is not a huge problem normally. Of course, kill is not a good idea because this causes Postgres crash and recovery immediately. Globally, Postmaster watches to see it. But if you need to disconnect someone, PG terminate backend with process ID. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Working with PG start activity is essential. Uh, what else? Like, don't use now with PGST activity. Now is a mistake. You will see negative values for connection duration or or statement duration or transaction duration. You need to use clock timestamp instead because it's not, yeah. a, it's not it's not a snapshot. It's not a table. It's like row by row. 
took me a while to get my head around that. I think you've got a good tweet or something we can link to on that. Yeah. But yeah, I think we kept this episode quite simple. I hope it was it was useful for some folks, maybe not for experts. It's, it was trivial information, but I I just felt it's needed because a lot of new users. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Nikolai. Thanks everybody who's been sharing it and commenting, liking that kind of thing. Appreciate it. Cheers. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you.